Hi, and welcome to the B2B Marketers on a Mission podcast. I'm your host, Christian Klepp, and one of the founders of Einblick Consulting. Our goal is to share inspirational stories, tips, and insights from B2B marketers, digital entrepreneurs, and industry experts that will help you to think differently, succeed, and scale your business. All right. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the B2B Marketers in a Mission podcast, where you get your weekly dose of B2B marketing insights. I'm your host, Christian Klepp, and today I am thrilled to welcome someone on the show who has a breadth of experience in the fields of communications, reputation management, journalism, and politics across different geographies. He's worked at both multinational corporations as well as international public relations firms, is extremely passionate about branding, and like myself, has family origins in Central Europe. So, Justin Heine, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Christian. Uh, great to be joining you today. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's fantastic to be connected, Justin. And I think I believe we have um, Mr. Steve Brown over at Cadence to thank for this connection and introduction. That's that's, uh, that's correct. And shout out to Steve if you're if you're listening. Good uh, good morning or or, or afternoon uh, wherever you are, or whenever you're listening. Indeed, indeed. So um, you know, I'm I'm really excited to get this conversation started. So why don't we just kick it off with I guess a topic that we uh, you know we're both equally passionate about. And, you know, you've built a successful career around it as well. And that's building um, brands uh, for B2B, right? So talk to us about why you think having a strong brand in B2B is so important. Well, let's take a step back and ask ourselves the question, uh, what is brand? Sure. Uh, and if you Google it and you, stay, and you write in what is brand, you'll probably uh, get as one of your first results uh, a, a definition from the founder of uh, the famed Ogilvy uh, advertising firm. Um, but the most simple definition, and, and I actually asked somebody about this when I undertook a project a couple of years ago. I said, you know, how would you describe brand and how would you explain what it means um, to, to, to people from, from outside of the, the, the branding or reputation world. And he said simply this, your, your brand is your answer, your organization's answer to the question, why would somebody choose us? Uh, and I think that succinct definition uh, resonates with, with a lot of people who, who don't come from that background. And it's a, it's a very good foundation to start talking about brand. Um, so why is brand important for B2C brands? Uh, and for for B two B brands, well, you know, I think typically we think about brand as being very important for B two C brands, um, and that emotional connection and resonance that that brands have, whether they're you know serial brands, shoe brands, real estate brands, or or otherwise. B two B can sometimes be a different story because you know people think that their business and their buyers, well, it's just about the business and the product the service or the solution. Uh, but there's actually a really good body of research indicating that B2B buyers have a stronger emotional connection to brand. And I would say probably a different kind of emotional connection to brand than a B2C buyer. Um, if you think about it though, it makes a lot of sense. So you are a B2C buyer and you make the wrong decision, right? You've, you've built a relationship with the brand, you've bought something, and you've learned you've made the wrong decision. Well, what's really at stake? You've bought the wrong refrigerator, the wrong pair of jeans, the wrong pair of shoes, or, or, or otherwise. You're a B2B buyer, and you have built a strong relation with a brand. And now you've made a bad decision. And what's at stake? Well, it's your reputation, your career, and potentially your livelihood. On the other side of the coin, 
you've made a great decision with respect to a B2B brand. And that great decision now has the, um, uh, the, the, the potential to make you very, very successful in your, uh, in your job. Uh, and these are all things, our, our personal success and our reputation have a very strong emotional component. So when you think of it from that perspective, of, of course, brand is important in the B2B context. That's really interesting, and uh, you know, in fact, what we're talking about research, I I, I found one this morning that I'm like, uh, that I'll throw out at you. So um, <clears throat> so according to research done by Forrester, um, brand influences approximately twenty uh, percent of B two B purchasing decisions. So going back to your point, um, that yes, there is certainly um, a degree of emotion involved. It's just not the same type of emotion that we're talking about, um, like you know, when it comes to B two C, right? Yeah. Well. Uh... I, I mean, I, I would argue because there is research from McKinsey actually on this is that yeah. um, that that emotion plays uh, that emotion is equally or more important for B to for B to B than mm-hmm. for B to C brands. And you also have to think about um, so if you look at this twenty percent figure from Forrester and that that brand plays a uh, you know has twenty percent share in the decision making process. But you've got to think. You've got to think a little bit bigger than that, and think what role does brand have in all of the other factors that are influencing that decision-making process? What role does brand have in the ability of a salesperson, for example, to be really engaged with their company and deliver the right message? What role does brand have in influencing the product developer, or product manager, or solutions manager? Um, to um, to to put together strategies and execute them in a way that's consistent with what's going on with the rest of the organization, and you know thereby creating more business value. Uh, so so this this stuff, I mean, whether it's the the Forrester number, whether it's a McKinsey number, or anywhere in between, I think the case is really clear that brand is super important uh, in the B two B space. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And you know what? While we're uh... Well, we're throwing numbers out there at each other. Um, that gives me a great segue into the next question. And, I, and I'm pretty sure you're going to have fun with this one. Because at some point uh, or other, um, you know, as brand strategists, we've come across this challenge. Um, you know, from senior managers, board, uh, boards of directors, and so forth. Like, So one of the things that we frequently hear when it comes to branding for B2B are, okay, so Justin, that's great, but can it be measured? Um, What's the ROI, right? It's that, that 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 word. So I think every organization I can think of is going to have someone or a group of people, in fact. So let's use the plural um, term here. Who will be asking you those kinds of questions? So um, over to you. How how would you answer these questions, and how would you utilize um, data to get internal buy-in for organizations to invest in brand building? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the the simplest the simple answer is that yes, it can be measured. Uh, The more complicated answer is yes, it can be measured. And then there is a lot more that perhaps cannot be measured or it is more difficult to to measure. So, I mean, you you can measure brand health um, uh, and uh, awareness with both your external and your internal stakeholder groups. I mean, so externally, you can do brand awareness, brand sentiment, you can use social media sentiment as as, as a proxy. And you can do a whole bunch of uh, qualitative research uh, to understand the health of your of your brand, and you can do the same thing w- inside of your uh, of, of your organization. Um, 
There are many other benefits, though, of having a strong brand that are a little bit more difficult to um, to, to to measure. Um, you know, and 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 part of that, I. I, I think the the sort of the, the evolution of, of digital marketing and the promise of, of digital marketing and 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 and, and measurement um, was supposed to sort of usher in this uh, panacea kind of world where every single thing that we did we would now be able to measure and uh, and attribute and you know as as, as marketers we all know that um, that that this is not the case but what I would argue is that a strong brand coupled with strong and consistent execution of the brand. And when that happens, you're going to see a lift across the organization and across nearly every metric, whether it's, uh, whether, whether it's, uh, whether it's sales, whether it's leads, whether it's um, uh, metrics associated with your, your employer brand, recruitment, retention numbers, uh, internal engagement, um, data um, but a lot of those those uh, those, those metrics uh, and a lot of that, um, that that good progress that's 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 made against these things um, like that's coincidental with the development of a of, of a strong brand I mean so there's a coincident uh, there's a coincidence and there is a, a causality um, but it's really difficult to make a connection between everything that you're doing with your brand and everything uh, or every 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 business uh, result because there are i mean a strong brand is good uh, if you have a strong brand for example and a, and a weak sales force that's not going to do too much if you have a strong brand and strong sales force and a um a weak go-to-market strategy again you're you're i mean you're going to have issues uh with within your organization but but when all of these things come together you know strong strong brand um if you're a sales-led organization a strong sales force uh if you have a solid um, go-to-market strategy then that's the that's the recipe for a, a winning organization you know when it comes to internal buy-in um I mean, I, I would say that the way that you go about that really needs to be tailored to your audience. So thinking about the personalities of the decision makers and um, and the influencers uh, in in organizations. And I would say that many many organizations. I mean, people people definitely are uh, they're they're numbers driven, right? Have a conversation with the, with the CFO and ask ask that person why why or 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 if investing in a brand is important and you know you may get different kinds of answers uh depending on that that person um and this is often a, a you know can be a source of, of of conflict or misalignment maybe between marketers or between creative thinking type people and um and uh people wearing more of a business hat but let's not lose sight that these are also rational people with eyes and ears that work just the way that ours do. Um, so, you know, you could ra rather than simply coming in and saying, hey, there, there's a problem with the, with, with the brand, we've got to spend a bunch of money to fix it. Um, you know, you bring forth examples of, uh, you know, here's what's going on inside of our organization. Here's what's going on in the market and maybe our inability to show up as we want to. And 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 here's the root cause. So you, you present a very clear uh, before and a very clear after and the kind of uh, associated benefits that you're that, that you're predicting 
and once you begin to think that way and, and form your argument that way, uh, it, it becomes a lot easier to sell through. Yeah, you brought up so many interesting points here as I was uh, furiously taking notes, but um, you're absolutely right to say it's like everything in branding and in fact in communication for that matter, right? Like you got to understand who it is you're talking to and tailor that approach to that respective audience. So I think you gave a really great example because we've all we've all run into them, CFOs, right? Yeah. People that are numbers driven. So how do you get buy-in from people like that to convince them that it's it's worth the investment? Um, is one thing. The second thing is, and I believe this is also the point that you were trying to make, is that these changes and this progress you're referring to, this takes time. This is not going to be something that'll, you know, you'll implement it next week and then presto, we've got the results, right? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. So if you think about um, the journey that an organization is on in the context of a brand transformation, I mean, at, at the very beginning, you, you're now, I was going to say, you start having these conversations about making the case for change. I mean, I guess before that that happens, you I mean, you need to decide or or sort of get clear on 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 what's the what's the problem and what's the change that needs to be made. You make the the case for change, uh, and when you then have the ability in your organization to go about uh, making the change. Um, well, then you start making the change, and you go through the whole process of a of, of a brand transformation, um, if, if if that's what you're you're looking to do. And of course, these things should be grounded in really solid research, um, and uh, and everything begins with a with with a solid a solid brand strategy. And then, if you're looking, for example, at um, changing your visual identity, uh, updating your your brand messaging, or you know, blowing it up. Uh, completely and starting from scratch, you know that begins with with again with that solid brand strategy that's rooted in in data and and insights. And I mean, certainly that's a process that needs to be done right. It needs to be very uh, carefully managed within uh, within an organization, ensuring that the um, the right stakeholders are are included in the in, in the process. And then, of course. You know, working very hard and, and diligently to execute and and bring your your new brand uh, to the market. That's actually just the start. Uh, it's it's hard work, it's rewarding work, but it is a heck of a lot easier, or it can be, than what comes next, um, which is bringing your brand uh, or bringing your brand to life. Uh, and by that, I'm not talking about the brand campaign. I'm talking about introducing that to and embedding it into the organization. Uh, talking about you know, how changes in how, how, how an organization is applying the brand, living the brand, thinking about application of the brand, living the brand, um, change management, asking or telling people to start doing things differently when it comes to you know, design of materials, the kinds of words we use in our organization. If part of your brand transformation includes um, new values, for example, Introducing those to the organization and um, and uh, managing dissent. Um, that's really the um, the complicated part, the one the the, the part where you need um, the most patience um, and the the thickest skin, frankly, and the the the, the fortitude to see it through. Absolutely, absolutely, and I, I would even dare say it's situations like that where your background in communications and maybe even crisis management to a certain degree would come into play. 
right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the communications portion when introducing a brand is, yeah. is, is very, very important and, um, and, and telling and telling a good change story. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Hey, it's Christian Klepp here. We'll get back to the episode in a second. But first, is your brand struggling to cut through the noise? Are you trying to find more effective ways to reach your target audience and boost sales? Are you trying to pivot your business? If so, book a call with Einblick Consulting. Our experienced consultants will work with you to help your B2B business to succeed and scale. Go to www.einblick.co for more information. Um, yeah, we, we had a bit of a discussion about this before, um, you know, for the, for the next question, but give us an example now, whether it's from your own professional experience or something that you've seen out there in the market, um, that you've seen, uh, where a B2B organization witnessed positive changes because of a strong branding or in fact, even a rebranding initiative. Mm -hmm. Well, let me share actually a story of our own organization. Um, So we undertook a brand transformation, um, uh, a, a little while ago, and uh, uh, a lot of it uh, sort of followed the same path that I, I described earlier to to you. And um, something very, very interesting happened uh, when we shared the brand with our organization. Um, you know, we undertook this process to, I won't say reinvent the soft choice brand, um, and soft choices, by the way, uh, you know, for those who don't know, it's a a B two B technology company, uh, and we've been around for 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 thirty one years, and um, and there's a you know a really interesting heritage with the with with the company, but the brand had had gotten tired. Um, what we didn't want to do with the brand, though, is to you know try to make soft choice into a company or a brand that it wasn't. We simply wanted to the brand to articulate the very best version of itself, the very best version of soft choice. So we introduced the brand back in January. There was a new logo, new strategic um, strategic positioning and, and narratives, like all, all, you know, technically brand new. What we heard from a lot of people afterwards was like, this is exactly the kind of soft choice I know and love. Like, I haven't heard these words before, but like I recognize myself and I recognize our culture and I recognize our company in what you've just shared with us, whether strategic messaging, the story that we told about the new logo, um, you know, people saw themselves and uh, and the organization in this. And I think, uh, you know, that's that's how we how we how we did it right. I mean, probably what didn't complicate things as much as you know, we didn't, for example, like changing the soft choice name was never on the table. Like those kinds of things are um are, are, are typically more and more controversial. And sometimes they're, I mean, they're done for business reasons. They're done for, you know, other reasons. Think of, a, you know, renaming of Philip Morris, for, for example. Uh, there's a, a very clear reason why, why that, uh, that, that company did that, or whether you're, you know, spinning off or you, uh, you're entering a new market or otherwise. There are all sorts of reasons to change a name. Sometimes companies, uh, I'll use air quotes here, they, they rebrand, and by that, they introduce a new logo and visual system to the company. They say, aha, new, new, new brand. And what happens then is that uh, people usually just make fun of the new logo. It's not taken, it's not taken seriously. Um, or they may introduce new positioning into the market and some new messaging, but there's no excitement about a new logo or visual system. And, 
and 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 then the change really isn't as um, sort of clear or crystallized um, to uh, to to the market. Fantastic. Um... Yeah, and, and, and clearly, like from what you've been talking about in the past couple of minutes, that was a rebranding exercise that went really well. Um, not just because it was well received, uh, I'm, I'm sure to a certain degree also because of uh, because of your uh, your own efforts, um, but also because it resonated with um, the, the, the respective target groups. So I'm just going to throw this additional question in there, Justin. Um, like, you know, having having gone through this exercise yourself, um, what, what were some of the greatest takeaways from that, ex, uh, you know, from that initiative for you? Like, I mean, personally, <laughs> I mean, one of the, the biggest things I learned was about myself, which is that I love doing this uh, and, 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 and finding something that you, you love doing, that you're good at doing and that uh, somebody wants to pay you to do uh, is a, is not a bad trifecta uh, to, uh, to, to be in. Um, I learned that sometimes there is a, a bigger appetite for change than you may have anticipated. Um, just because things have been going a certain way for a certain period of time doesn't mean that everybody's okay with it. Uh, perhaps you know they just haven't recognized the problem in the way that that you have, or kind of seen some of the more acute implications, uh, or maybe there just hasn't been a catalyst for change. Um, and, and so whether you're talking about a, a rebrand or a product redesign or a new marketing strategy or, um, or, or, or otherwise, I think, you know, organizations and, and people always need to be uh, critical in a, in a very constructive way and think about, you know, how can we like, how can we do better and how can we do like right by our people and our customers and our shareholders or otherwise. Absolutely, absolutely, and I, and I love how you brought up catalyst for change because that certainly can originate from different sources, and it might even be not just a catalyst; it can be catalysts, right? Sure. So, yeah, um, we spoke about this a little bit already in the past couple of minutes, but I'd like to get your thought on um, this. This article that I read online um, on source of the drum.com. so it highlights um, things that you've already mentioned. It highlights the risks of how having short-sightedness can sometimes damage uh, the potential growth of B2B brands. Um, and so the article then lists four arguments in favor of brand building, and you brought some of these up. But um, so the first one is you can't argue with the facts, right? And we, and we dropped a couple of like statistics already, right? So brand building will build market share and the bottom line. But again, it's for the long term, right? Yeah. The second one is Brand building will attract new customers, and it's a good way to assure current customers, who are equally as important, um, that they have made the right choice uh, in working with you. Right. Um, the third point is you need to become, to your first point, the brand of choice. You need to give people a reason to work with you or to choose you. Right. Um, and then the fourth one is, Again, something you brought up, using the power of emotion to ensure that people engage with your brand. So um, some thoughts on the above. Um, what would you add to convince um, those who are still skeptical about like, um, you know, putting budget into longer term brand building? Um, you know, what would you add? Mm -hmm. Well, they're, 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 good, they're good points. It's uh, perhaps something where I, it's, it's not really where I would add to your points, but, but more kind of 
elaborate or or validate them. Um, so yeah, you're you're right. Brand building will build market share and the bottom line, um, but that happens over time. Uh, you know, if you compare, uh, for example, investments in brand to investments in in demand gen, yeah, absolutely, uh, investments in demand gen. Uh, pay off over a shorter period. Investments in brand pay off over the long term or kind of medium to long term. Uh, and the takeaway from that is that you don't choose one or the other. You 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 design and you execute on a solid demand gen strategy uh, supported by a, 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 a strong brand. Like that's a that's the recipe for growth. Um, you're you're absolutely right that a um, a strong brand, and by that I, you know, mean yeah, strong brand jet strategy, but also excellent and consistent execution of the of, of the brand. I mean, that assures your customers that you're a serious organization, and that you're you're trustworthy, and that you have your your own house in order. Uh, yes, brand building will attract new customers, um, but not if uh, these new customers don't hear about your brand. Um, and so this is, you know, strong, where having a strong brand with a strong demand gen strategy um, is, is, is so important. Uh, and if you're a sales-led organization, it's, um, it's about ensuring that your salespeople, uh, that the field understands what the new brand is, uh, that if you have, and you should have, um, clean, crisp, relevant messaging to the market, uh, that they are equipped to, to deliver those messages. Uh, I mean, those will be your 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 single um, biggest uh, and most influential um, sort of carriers of your of your brand story. If you are a sales led organization with a um, a more modest uh, marketing advertising budget, um, it's important though as well, you know, to to look at the journey of the uh, of of the modern B two B buyer, right? Uh, even the B2B buyer um, from companies who, who, who are sales-led organizations, right? So more and more of the B2B buying journey uh, is, is being done online. Uh, B2B buyers are discovering organizations and engaging with organizations more and more well before they speak to a single salesperson. So that brand story needs to be, you know, well told by real people who are having real conversations, whether in person, on the phone with, with customers and prospects. Um, and it needs to be told really well and consistently over, over digital channels too. Those are some really great points to bring up and especially that bit about like, you know, um, how to adjust the approach uh, based on an uh, ever increasing uh, on, uh, you know, online on virtual world. And we're gonna circle back to that one in a couple minutes. Um, but, but what I did want to ask you was just like, you know, putting some of these, these, uh, these insights um, and these points you highlighted together, um, you know, what would be your, you would say, your key steps that B2B organizations uh, need to take when it comes to building a brand the right way? Building a brand the right way, uh, I mean, it begins with a solid brand strategy mm -hmm. and, uh, and brand positioning. And that begins with solid research. So understanding your customers, understanding the market and, you know, what the market is looking for, understanding your company's place in that, in that market and your, and, and your, and your capabilities. 
uh, and uh, and from there developing a brand positioning that is um, that's that's relevant and that you know to be true about your organization. So that's that's that that's where where you start. And if you don't start there, um, probably nothing or not much that you you do will be uh, will be any good. That's and, and, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and then from there, whether you're whether you're building a new visual identity, whether it's a new logo, whether it's new uh, new strategic messaging, you know, everything is grounded. Um, everything is grounded in those uh, in those insights. That's th these are the prerequisites. Yeah, well, that's a that, that's a really great answer. I was I was just about to say that, like you know, um, uh, if you don't do those things, uh, what what tends to end up happening uh, rather is. Um, it just becomes this very execution-driven exercise, or people start firefighting, right? Like yeah. you know, you wait, you wait, you wait till the you know you wait to the point where you uh, you have to draft a press release, and then you think about the brand messaging. It's a little bit late, right? In exactly. Whether you're whether you're drafting a press release, uh, writing marketing copy, writing social media copy, um, product naming architectures. Yeah. How do I describe the solution? What word should I use? Um, you know, do I do I write in really accessible human language? Do I write in very technical language? You know, all of these, um, all of the answers to, to questions like this um, are answered for you if you've developed a strong brand foundation. Uh, and if you don't do that, I mean, your your I mean, your output will be just frankly bad and inconsistent. Um, and people will keep on reinventing things as they go along and wasting their time, the company's money, and they won't be viewed as ineffective, or they won't be rather viewed as effective uh, in the organization. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Um, you know, Justin, we had this conversation um, on a previous call, and, uh, you, you know, you brought up uh, some of these points um, earlier on. Um, what are, like, you know, we're, we're, I promise we're not going to talk about COVID, but we're, we're yeah. let's let's uh, let's talk about like what's been going on in our space in the past, let's just say twelve to uh, sure. twelve months or so, right? And you know, short of stating the obvious, a lot of it is you know has migrated online, and so we're you know we're basically working in an increasingly, at least for the time being, socially distant, yeah, and virtual uh, virtual world. So, what changes have you seen? Um, in your area of expertise as a result of the pandemic? And how do you think uh, B2B organizations should continue to build and develop their branding under the current circumstances, which look like they're not really going to change? Um, yeah, forward. yeah, not going to change. So I will, uh, I will say the C word. And so COVID, um, what I mean, COVID has disrupted our lives in the near term. And I think as a lot of people have recognized, it's just accelerated um, changes or, or trends that would have taken place um, at some time in the future, uh, and uh, and certain things that probably hasn't changed. You know, I, I do think in many respects the world will 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 bounce back. Uh, people at some point will work in offices, have family barbecues, and will um, we we won't go everywhere um, wearing masks and and staying six feet away from from each other. Especially, you know, thinking about the. Uh, the hordes of unvaccinated people north of the U.S. border. A bit of a different story in the in in the U.S. So you know we're still uh, sort of in a state of of disruption. I think when it comes to the world of work, uh, you know what what won't change is the world of hybrid work and the comfort that people have working 
out of their own homes. It's albeit uh, a lot easier when the when the kids are in school rather than uh, in your uh, in in your face. But that's a, a great example of, of things that um, that uh, that that won't change so much. Um, I think you know what's a little bit more more interesting in this respect is how the world of remote work has actually changed corporate culture. Um, and the question of how has the world of remote work changed corporate culture? Um, I mean, I think some some organizations, and you hear a lot about remote work, there are other organizations uh, like Amazon, for example, that are going to seek to maintain primarily an office culture. And then you have companies like Shopify who are now remote work by um, by, by by default. Um, regardless of any of these types of work models, uh, what I find quite interesting is how how are people engaging and interacting with their peers uh, differently because this has happened. And what we've seen is actually a a coming together of people in our organizations uh, or our organization rather people building um, in some cases stronger emotional connections with one another and getting to know one another more deeply um, and in the same way that you know people are expecting more from their own employers when it comes to emotional connection and you know all sorts of data around people wanting to see their companies like react to important social issues uh, and um, kind of that further blurring of the lines between work and life right it's not just blurring of the lines of work and life when it comes to your work hours um, but the role of a the company that you work for and the people that you work with in your own um, sort of personal life. Um, this has been uh, this has been really, really interesting to to see. And in the same way that you know people are building more emotional connections uh, with the people that they work with, um, they're also building more emotional connections with the companies that they buy from and the people that work in those companies, right? So you can build that emotional connection with uh, you know with with the brand. But then that's also you know, the, the person that you're the salesperson on the other side of the phone or the other side of the video call. Uh, you know, you have a conversation. Hey, what's going on in your world? Hey, oh, is that your kid screaming in the background? Oh, yeah, here's mine. They're, you know, they're coloring on the walls or 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 or, or, or whatever. So so people, I think, in many respects, like they're just they're getting more real with each other, which is really interesting to see. Yeah, no, that's uh, those are definitely some great insights, and I, I I love the bit where you you brought it up at least three times, if I if I remember correctly, about emotional connections, because as you're trying to establish those stronger emotional connections with people due to the lack of well, uh, seeing each other in person, um, so, uh, it, all the more like and that 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 builds a strong case also for brands to be able to replicate that experience just in a different way of course but how do you how do you establish that strong connection with um especially um internally as yeah. well as externally right? mm -hmm. yeah that's it that's it i mean that's the challenge it's, it's where where brands have to be authentic and yeah then from a practical perspective uh 
you know, you can't be a human brand by telling people that you're a human brand. You simply have to be it by virtue of the way that you show up. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that can be difficult to get right. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's without a doubt. Um, yeah, I think you're going to have a little bit of fun with this next question, Justin. So it's like, um, talk to us about one thing that you think people should start and one thing that you think people should stop uh, when it comes to brand building for B2B. Huh. Well, uh, I think people, people and organizations um, need to be more straightforward and to the point. Uh, and they need to be more useful to their audiences. Like I've, you know, said before, I, like, I, your, your your two most important currencies at work are your your time and your reputation. Uh, and I think that if a brand's if a brand's promise, either directly or indirectly, uh, doesn't uh, you know help the audience see how this brand is going to either you know benefit their own and or their company's reputation um, then the brand isn't terribly uh, relevant uh, now if the brand can't communicate that in a really efficient and easy to understand and relevant way then now they're wasting their audience's time so you've got to get you've got to get those 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 two things right and so I would say this is almost like the answer to to both of your questions what should they start doing? And, uh, and 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 what should they 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 stop doing? Yeah, no, that's uh, that's certainly some great advice. Um, you know, uh, Justin, this has been such a great session, and uh, you, you know, it was a it was a really fun conversation. Uh, please do us the honor and uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Justin. If you were in Switzerland, which is where um, my family is from, you would say Justin Hane. In North American, we've sort of done the the Anglo pronunciation hey. the name. <laughs> Uh, Justin Hayne, which is probably how 90% of the world uh, uh, knows me. And so I, I work for, for SoftChoice. We're, uh, we're a technology company based out of Toronto, and I lead brand and communications there. Uh, I grew up in Canada, um, but I've been to a few places in the world. I, uh, as a sort of late teenager, I uh, spent a good three quarters of the year in uh, Canada's Arctic. Uh, but I began my career in Sierra Leone, which is a small wow. country in uh in, in West Africa, working in the NGO world. Um, from there, I, I moved to Switzerland and I took a job as a journalist with the, the Swiss Broadcasting Corporation and had the opportunity to uh, work on some really, really interesting stories, uh, both in Switzerland um, as, as well as uh, around the world, whether in uh, North America, um, sort of Southeast Asia, Middle East, uh, West Africa. Um, then I fell in love uh, with a Canadian girl and I, I moved back to, to Canada in, in 2010, which is where I've, I've been since, having done some work in, in, in politics as well as uh, in the agency world and, uh, and, and financial services. I am uh, uh, I, I'm living kind of close to downtown Toronto, got a family with a, with a bunch of kids, and uh, we're having a real interesting time uh, in, in COVID. But, uh, but, uh, but, but, but all in all, uh, just had have had the opportunity to uh, to do a lot of interesting work with uh, with with really good with really good uh, people uh, and uh, uh, yeah having a lot of fun in that respect. 
Amazing. You know what, Justin? It's funny. It's both funny and fascinating. Uh, in fact, I'd say I'm fascinated by, by how diverse Toronto is, right? Like your, your story um, certainly is interesting. And, and I met somebody yesterday that had, had a similar background as well, German speaking, uh, lived in different countries as well. And uh, I think that's just one of the allures of this, uh, this wonderful city that we live in. Yeah, right. Toronto is a is a it's a it's a really it's a really super city. I, I said to my wife when we were sort of negotiating my move back, I said I'll come back to Canada, um, but I'll only live in Toronto. Uh, and that was not having grown up in Toronto. Uh, but Toronto really, really is a a very a very good and uh, and and livable city if you don't take into account the price of housing. Uh, but it's a it's it's a great place. Yeah. Uh, it is it is a great a great place to be. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Justin, once again, I mean, this has been such a great session. Thank you so much for coming um, on and, uh, you know, being so generous with your time and sharing your experience. Um, what's the best way for people out there to, you know, get in touch with you? They can find me on LinkedIn. I'm probably the the only Justin Hain in the, <laughs> likely likely the world, or at least the the only one. In Toronto. Uh, the only one on LinkedIn in, in, in Toronto. So that's, uh, that, that's where you can, uh, that's where you can find me. And, and I will say I am... I'm always uh, open and eager to having conversations with curious people about uh, about whether it's brand reputation or uh, or otherwise. So looking forward to connecting. Or if people want to connect with you and learn Swiss German, right? <laughs> the, yeah, the small majority of people who will find a, a sort of practical use case for Swiss German, uh, you can get in touch with me as well. <laughs> Fantastic. Justin, once again, um, this has been so insightful and thought-provoking. Thanks again for your time. Um, take care, be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Christian. See ya. Yeah, bye for now. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the B2B Marketers on a Mission podcast. To learn more about what we do here at Einblick, please visit our website at www.einblick.co and be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. <laughs>